Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. No matter where you're listening around the world, this is me, Laura, talking to you in studio in glorious Vero Beach. And I've got a really cool guest here today because he actually flew in just to be on my show. He's a dear friend. He happened to be in another part of Florida, and he, he and his wife flew their, their plane up to uh, to be here on the show because this is such an important topic. And I've known my guest for probably close to 20 years now. And he was one of my mentors. You might not know that. But when I started my tech company and was stepping out into a bigger world of tech, I went to a conference and Larry walked up to me and said, hey, you're new here. How can I help? And that pretty much set the next levels of of my business because of uh, this man, Larry Baum, who is here with me today. And we're going to scare you and then give you some ways to not be quite so scared Because there's been lots of things going on in the world of cyber. 980 data breaches that we know of in 2016. Approximately 35,233,317 known records exposed of critical data, sensitive data. And Larry is one of the few people around that I trust to talk about this topic. If you've read my articles in Bureau's Voice Magazine, Tech Insights, you know I'm still writing about tech from owning my tech company. But this was an important topic, and I wanted to have him here. So welcome, Larry, to the show. Hi. Nice to be here. It's so great to have you here. You know, you've been... in. You I can't found, believe I'm one of your mentors. You were. You wow. still are. I mean, how many times do I just like, Larry, I need some help or I'm struggling here with something. And you were at the Ingramiker VTN the first day I got accepted, which was a peer group of technology service providers that if you're at a certain level, you could grow and expand your business by being surrounded by some of the best of the best. And, and Ingramicro really brought speakers in and you were like the founding member of VTN. One of the founding, one of the founding, one of the founding members. And you founded the Computing Center 35, in 40 30, years ago? 38. 38. 38. It'll be 39 in, uh, in May, depending on which, which date we actually use. It's uh, 1978 is when we started. And computers were very, very different back then. Very different back then. Uh, we weren't actually sure that this thing called microcomputers were actually going to go somewhere. And uh, we started about uh, six months after uh, the Computerland franchise system started. And uh, they were selling small computers. We were selling uh, computer services, uh, how, to, how to fix what you had, uh, how to program. Uh, we were doing programming for uh, – uh, uh, mostly uh, what were called mini computers and mainframes at the time. And we weren't totally sure about this thing called microcomputer technology. And then uh, we had a couple contracts, kind of kept us going. And then in uh, 1981, the uh, IBM PC came out. That changed everything. It's not that they were better. It wasn't that they were fantastic, but it was IBM. And uh, that got the whole world uh moving toward uh, computers and computer technology. You know, I just look around this studio and I'm thinking there's more computer power in this room than um, 
probably all the computing power that was in my hometown when uh, we started our business. I, my mom and I saw Hidden Figures on uh, Sunday with my friend Sue. And if you haven't seen Hidden Figures, everybody, you need to go see this movie. The, the reason I bring it up is because the IBM computers were being put in, the, the mainframes were being brought in, and that's something that nobody had really been seeing used to the level that they were. And that was a critical junction when computers really became something other than people computing. Correct. Because yes. computers at NASA were people who computed. So the first computer that I ever got to program or actually work on was an IBM 709. It was in 1965, uh, and uh, Cornell University owned one. I was in high school, and uh, we had very fortunate. There was one of our, the math teachers was very into the early days of computers. So uh, there was a com- he created a computer math class, uh, and uh, there were probably a dozen of us, and I think we were the second year that he had done it. And uh, so we were uh, programming on punch cards, doing very, very basic kinds of uh, computer programs, and uh, that's what got me into it. Well, it's kind of it's interesting because, you know, like going back, I remember programming on punch cards and, you know, magnetic tape and all those other mediums, right? I remember eight and a quarter inch floppy drives and five and a quarter and three and a half, all, you know, all of that stuff. Those computers, though, were essentially what now people talk about air gapped. They were not connected to the outside world except through, in some cases, a dedicated physical line that was just between those two locations. It was really hard for somebody from the outside world to get in and and hack the information in it. Like the biggest security was the physical building to make sure nobody got in and was able to somehow make a copy of the data. Um, nowadays, an air-gapped computer, it, you don't see that anymore that much. It, it, everywhere you turn, you know, the iPad, the, the iPhones, the laptops, the, the Laptops that don't even really have a hard drive in them, everything is to the cloud. We, we don't function without having something out there that's so easily hackable. Have you guys at the Computing Center, I, I, well, I know from one article you just wrote to your newsletter, have you seen a, a rise in instances of cybersecurity problems? Oh, absolutely. And interestingly enough, going back into the 1980s, uh, the some of the first local area networks being around a university uh that was very fascinating i saw the, my first local area network in i think 1983 uh and uh it was at the cornell university law school and they had connected these computers together and i'm going well this is pretty cool and there was this product called novell netware oh my god i, I was i was <laughs> Novell yeah, right. geek, I remember, I remember that. that. It was I my remember, favorite. I remember that when we met. Yeah, and uh, it's another company that doesn't exist anymore. But uh, they started connecting these computers together. Not long after that, they started connecting the computer networks together. And there's this apocryphal story 
uh, around 1988-86-88. Cornell was doing some stuff with the early, early versions of the internet, and Bill Gates had come into town to give a uh, to give a talk, and uh, Bill Gates. People don't know the founder of Microsoft and depending on who you ask, one of the richest people in the world. Uh, and he saw what Cornell was doing with connecting computer networks together. And the apocryphal story is he goes back to Washington and said, hey, we need to change our company and we need to be looking at this thing called the Internet much more closely. And that changed the world. Another thing that happened is that I have to check my dates, but I'm going to say in the early 1990s, there was this grad student at Cornell who was looking and working on a very, very early version of the Internet. And he goes, and it was all Unix. There, uh, uh, so it was a public domain a uh, way to connect two computers and, and so on. It's still around today. And he wrote the first worm. And, <laughs> and a worm, for everybody who wants to know, is something that literally worms its way in. W-O-R-M, it actually stands for something that I'm not thinking of at the moment. Right. But it's not a good thing. <laughs> Definitely not a good thing. So some of the first hacks came out of Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. Just because they could. <laughs> Just because they could. He got into a whole lot of trouble. Um, and if I remember correctly, he became a professor and he's working in a Northeastern University now. So the the difference between hacking in the 90s and even into the, the 2000s uh, and today are quite different. Uh, early hacks into computers was more to be able to say, I can do this and I'm having fun and it's kids and it's, sh- and it's people like the who movie are sharp. War games. Exactly. Now, today, it's all about the money and it's all about something related to money many times, which is power. And that's one reason we're seeing nation states apparently involved. And, uh, What's been happening is is that uh, because it's all about money, people that are very, very bright are going after uh, people's computers and small business computers and large business computers and virtually everyone with the intent of gaining information, records, whatever you want to get and exploiting it for – some kind of gain, usually involving money. Now, one of the biggest hacks that people are talking about still that happened in 2016, but probably happened a little sooner before it got announced, and we still keep seeing more and more announcements around it, is the big Yahoo hack. And what people don't quite realize, and you and I were having a conversation when I picked you up at the airport, was... You may not have a Yahoo account, but somehow you may somehow have something that Yahoo got involved with exactly down along the way that may affect your data. Exactly. There were a lot of small internet service providers that were around in the eh, kind of mid-2000s that got bought up 
uh, AT&T was a large buyer. There were others, AOL. And a lot of these accounts ended up in, I'll call it the Yahoo world. And one of the challenges for Yahoo and all these people that were acquiring companies, there were a lot of free email accounts. And because they were free, they were being supported by advertising and other ways. But what's happened is, is that they, there wasn't a lot of attention paid to the, those email accounts and keeping them secure. Okay, so when we come back from the commercial break, we're going to talk more about that. And I want you all to be thinking about this. Are you sending anything in your email that somebody can do something maliciously about? You may not think you are, but we're going to show you how you probably are. We'll be right back with more with Larry Baum from the Computing Center. Success comes from not only what you know, but also who you know. Welcome back to It's All About the Questions with award-winning author Laura Stewart. 117 million LinkedIn credentials were breached. The breach occurred in 2012, but we didn't hear about it till 2016. And I happen to know a number of people who still have not changed their LinkedIn passwords, even though everybody has talked about this. And Dropbox verified that there were about 68 million user credentials were exposed And I personally know a number of people have not changed their Dropbox passwords, and yet they're putting critical private data, bank statements, credit card statements. They're sharing information with lots of people up there. Um, LinkedIn, it's got your phone numbers. It's got your profile, not just your email address, but, but Larry, you know, we started to talk about this just before the break about what people are putting in their emails. Why is it so important? for these hackers, these malicious hackers, to secure your email address? Well, it's actually a good question, and the answer is very simple. It's all about the money. People that are in the business of capturing emails aren't doing it for fun. Most of them aren't even doing it from the power, for the power, and you read about stuff in the political world that may or may not have occurred. Uh but it's really all about the money. And so what's happening is, is that there are organizations, individuals, probably some governments who are in the business of capturing email addresses with the intent of exploiting them to, for financial gain. Now, there's a personal friend of yours, not a client of yours, but a personal friend of yours whose name is not going to be disclosed, but we're going to use it as an example. Larry wrote a powerful article in the Computing Center's newsletter about it. But let's kind of go into that. So you say it's about the money, but what happens when they get it? We're not talking about, although this is a very lucrative thing, the guy from Africa who you know, want you to do a wire transfer to get them, you know, out of trouble or somebody pretending they're your friend and they've been out of the country and they need some money. Those add up to a lot, but there's other stuff happening. The ones that are happening that can be far more directed, far more lucrative for the people doing it uh, involve businesses in case of my friend it was a it was a small business where he was selling a several thousand dollar item 
to a, another individual in Minnesota. So what happened was is that they had consummated their transaction via email, and my friend made a mistake. He sent via email the bank wire transfer information to the client in Minnesota. It wasn't a PDF. It wasn't uh, encrypted in any way. It was a clear, what we call a clear email uh, that basically included the bank routing number and his account number and the amount to be transferred. And also the banking information having to do with the bank account. He got, my friend got lucky. In a bad situation, but he still got lucky. About three days later, he gets a phone call from the individual in Minnesota who's about ready to wire transfer the money. And he says, he called him. The important thing is he called him. He said to my friend, why do you want me to send the amount of money, it was several thousand dollars, to a bank in Spain? Spain, not Spain, not 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 in not in one of the right, not not in to a northeastern state. Um, And and your friend is not money laundering or trying to hide offshore accounts. Correct, right? Nothing, nothing like that. So, my friend, being somewhat savvy, but having made this mistake, he said. Could you send me that email back, the one that you received, but don't send it back via email. Print it and fax it back to me, which he did. And there was his email constructed exactly like he had sent it, except the bank account information had been changed and had been changed to a Spanish bank with a SWIFT code, which is the international way of moving money around, and the same amount of money and an account. Uh, And it was, uh, to say the least, uh, he was completely shocked, totally dumbfounded that this could happen. And he didn't have a Yahoo email account. Not originally. He had a private domain. Not originally. That, that started out life with an internet service provider in, uh, in Connecticut. And what had happened was is that that company had gotten sold a couple times, gone through AT&T, ultimately and someone else, ultimately ended up with Yahoo. So here we are with somebody with a Yahoo account. Well, he again is savvy enough to say, I need to change my password. Um, he goes to the administrative side of his account, tries to get in. He can't get in. His password had been changed. So he could still access because we were talking about the information was cached and it was allowed, uh, it allowed him to access his email, but he couldn't change his password. So he was essentially locked out of his own account and really wasn't a lot that he could do. Because if you go all the way down through the chain, you're still with a free email account with Yahoo and there's nobody to talk to. That, you know, 
I sit here with a shock look on my face, but having been in the industry for so long, this happens more often than we're aware of. Absolutely. And and what has occurred is that these guys, whoever they were, were sophisticated enough to have gotten his email account, changed his password, but also was scanning all his email. Uh, and probably thousands upon thousands, thousands of other of people's. Others looking for, and I'm speculating, they were looking for U- United States routing numbers, which are nine-digit code. So they would know if you see a nine-digit code, you need to have somebody read that email. They take a look. They see it's an email. says, oh, we have an exploit for this. So we're changing it to a European bank in this case and uh, sending it all along. And it look it still looks totally legitimate. And it, it happens so fast that there's not this significant delay in the email actually getting to the other party where right. there's suspicion going on. So we're about to go into uh, the news break at the bottom of the hour here. We're here with Larry Baum, uh, founder of the Computing Center. And what the reason we're talking about this is information, personal data, money, it's all being compromised on the web. And there is stuff that we can do about it. We'll be right back with more. Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve a lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Over one million Google accounts were breached via malicious Android apps. Yahoo, Yahoo, not Google. Uh, No, Google. Oh, Google accounts. Google accounts. I got some other data from some other places. So over a million um, Google accounts were breached on phones. I mean, right. we're we're not even talking computers where people are doing email. We're talking the smartphones are now being hacked via apps that you think are secure. So, Larry, before the the news break, we were talking about repercussions that are still happening because of the Yahoo email breach that the person didn't even have a Yahoo account, but because of that breach when it tracks all the way back, he was still impacted. So let's talk further about the impact for him in the business because he put his routing numbers. It's something that we want to caution everybody. You really don't want to put any sensitive data. Email is not secure. I mean, how do you think Google finds what ads to uh, target you with? They, they can read what's going out in your emails. Now, hopefully they will never use it for malicious reasons other than ads, but some of those ads aren't real either. You click on them and they put a payload malicious software on your computer. So let, let's talk to all of that. So in the specific situation that my friend was at, um, he needed to change his bank accounts first. So uh, Quickly, because quickly, he had his old numbers. Quickly. Well, and but it, that's more complicated than that because a lot of his bills get, were getting paid. Uh, he also happened to have his accounts with a one of the big banks, which made it more complicated, uh, a little bit more difficult to pull off, and uh, unfortunately took some time. But he was able to create a new account. He was able to uh, set up most of his funds to filter through the new account, but he still needed to keep the old account open because a lot of small businesses today 
run their life, their business life, through their bank accounts using uh, ACH, uh, auto, Automatic Clearinghouse, uh, and direct deposits, direct payments. Uh, for instance, at our company, we probably f- create maybe a dozen physical checks a month nowadays. That's a change from even when you were in the business. Oh yeah, I still did a lot of my stuff physical, and so. But I also like the control of it. (laughs) I understand, but uh, the convenience of it reduces costs. But when something like this happens, it creates a. In the case of our my friend, it was a nightmare of having to try to manage this information. One other thing that he did is he. As I said, he had put all the information together. He had figured out what the ba- what the bank in in, uh, in in Spain was, and he went to the FBI and uh, spoke to the FBI. Gave them all the information. They said, "Okay, well, well, we'll take a look at it." But in reality, is is that that bank account that they that his funds were were going to be directed to was probably nefarious, or had probably also been hacked. So getting to the perpetrators through that bank account was very unlikely to happen and from what I understand has not occurred. So indeed it was a uh, a bad bank. So again, here's what's happening. You have one account out of a billion. Yahoo lost a billion addresses, so there was one address. Well, there's going to be thousands of situations just like the one my friend went through all the bad guys need is a very small percentage of the thousands forget about the billion to work and uh, if you're in it for the money you can make a uh, very good living that way well and not only did they get your friends because they're tracking the emails that are going in and out they now have access to exponentially more email addresses of the people that are communicating back and forth with this person. Absolutely. And that's where you will see addresses where you'll see the nefarious email that looks like it's coming from a big bank. Uh, And what they'll be looking for is even though they'll send out tens of thousands of emails that look like it's coming from your big bank, what they'll do is they'll catch one where somebody will click on that, what looks like is coming from your bank, and what's happening is it's a redirected link that's going somewhere else. Now, they can drop a virus on you. They can do all kinds of other things to you that create... Um, an exposure and it these days you need to be cautious and you have to be more cautious and uh, there are products that can help you uh, they're out there and we, we supply them to to our clients there's lots of products out there Men, feel free to mention a couple there's uh, you know some of the big guys are the you know the semant- the semantics of the world McAfee uh, there are other ones fan. and webroot is a really good one uh, 
none of them are perfect because you you have this war going on. You have the bad guys who may be bad in terms of morality, but are really, really good programmers. And they're creating these exploits and the semantics of the world, the antivirus, anti-spam companies of the world are fighting against that, but they're kind of behind most of the time because they're in what I call in a reactive mode. They're reacting to what's out there. Now, they're very good when they see something. What we started to see a couple, three years ago are what are called zero-day exploits. And these are ones that are happening fast enough where the companies that are fighting against it can't react quickly enough. And that's where some of these hacks are coming from, and they're getting more and more sophisticated. So you're ending up in a situation where... Any sensitive information, uh, social security number, credit card, bank account information, driver's license, driver's number. license information, birth in, dates, even in any form, you don't want them in your email. That's probably the first thing that you that people can do. The second thing is is that if you haven't changed your passwords, change your passwords, and and don't make it a simple one either. And no, no, no. The, the the most popular password in the world is password, password in English. All, all lowercase, yes. not even some capitals Exactly, in yes, and one, two, three, four, five is the second most popular one. Uh, even sophisticated passwords can be hacked. Takes a little bit more time, it's a little bit more challenging, but there are ways to hack those passwords. What about the... Password encryption softwares like LastPass and, and all of those where people can – it's something that's installed and it's a, like a bit locker that keeps – that generates passwords each time or keeps your password in an encrypted area. What do you think of those? Those are pretty good. First, the LastPasses of the world and products like that allows you to create passwords that are long enough and complex enough that – you probably won't remember them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but when they go across and are picked, they're much more difficult to crack. Uh, can they be cracked? Possibly. The thing that we're starting to see more and more of, particularly in healthcare, our healthcare clients, our financial clients, and our insurance clients, is the use of encrypted emails. And uh, encrypted emails Personal prediction, two to three years, the majority of emails will be sent in an encrypted form uh, where you essentially require a code token uh, that is automatically generated that is not impossible to break but extremely difficult to break. Uh, and that's how we're going to be sending our emails. But it requires both ends yes. to have – this encryption and some common encryption some common encryption decryption form and that's what makes it complicated and for right now that's really onerous to a lot of small businesses who may be doing b2b or b2c business to business or business to consumer so what things can they do besides making sure they change their passwords change them frequently um 
what's one more thing before we go to commercial break that they can do to protect? Uh, changing passwords on a regular basis, for starters, using complex passwords. Uh, and uh, there are many, you know, go to the web and you just say, look up, you know, Google complex passwords and you'll, you'll, you'll see all sorts of different techniques that will keep a significant number of the bad guys out. Okay, so those are the ones that tend to be, you know, they're just looking for the easy thing. They're going to keep it significant. We talked about also putting on your computer some sort of um, antivirus, anti-spyware, firewall software, semantic, trend micro, um, web roots, my favorite. There's a lot of them out there. And then there's other devices that they can put in between, like don't just use the one that comes from your Internet provider and don't change the default password on that. That's right. my favorite. The, the, the routers that don't have uh, the, the routers that don't that have default passwords, and uh, that's an, that's another easy way in. Yeah, the the Wi-Fi password that's the default that people just sit outside your house with their their um, iPads and they're hacking your information, watching everything that that comes across. Laura Chapel was a big person when I used to speak at the Novell conferences, and she did packet analysis. She's like the woman. To, she's the brainiac at it. FBI, CIA have all brought her you know, in for different things. But um, it's about watching that information go through. It's fascinating when you do that. We're going to be coming back with more from Larry Baum from the Computing Center, one of my mentors from when I started my tech company. He's been in this business for 38 years. He's the guy I go to when I have questions Um, So we're talking about protecting your data, and we'll be right back with more from It's All About the Questions. Success comes from not only what you know, but also who you know. Welcome back to It's All About the Questions with award-winning author Laura Stewart. All right, so Larry, during the break, we were talking about a a story when I got divorced and I went to change my name back to Stewart. I contacted British Airways where I had a frequent flyer account and I w- wanted to send over the information to change it. So I'm looking for a fax number. I called them up. There's, they said, no, you have to email it. And I'm like, what do you need me to email? And they're like, your driver's license, your social security number, a copy of your divorce decree and, and all that and email it. I'm like, so you want me to just send that out there wide open all of that critical data. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the only way to do it. They said, no fax numbers, no nothing. I can't even mail it to you. And they said, no. I went. I took to Twitter and the British Airways account, and their response was, well, if you don't like that, go to the airport and change it at the airport. There's still this idea amongst corporations that email is secure. We've talked for the last 45 minutes that it's not. So what is it going to take for people to get it and what are some other things other than don't share <laughs> that information in an email it is definitely challenging out there uh, the financial institutions are getting better at it because unlike a lot of other businesses they actually measure the losses so they'll when a financial institution has a has a loss, uh, it's measured in dollars. If MasterCard or Visa, they do have hacking losses. They have other kinds of losses. They measure it, and 
they actually find a certain percentage, a certain amount of that loss built into their budgets. It's actually almost acceptable. That's a challenge. Healthcare is in the same situation, except there's this uh, thing called HIPAA where the government can come back and say, hey, this is not acceptable. Um, I think we're going to be seeing, as I said earlier, encrypted emails becoming much more popular. Something else that we're starting to see more of is uh, uh, two-factor identification. Which is? Two-factor identification can be something that you have, such as your uh, something you know, such as your password, and something that you have, which is a – call it a number, call it a secondary way of authenticating a particular transaction. iPhone, smartphone, iPad, exactly. other computer. Exactly, where you would get something texted back to you, say a, uh, a six-digit code, to access your bank account. Uh, I think we're going to see seeing that a lot more. There's other kinds of uh, businesses have had uh, two-factor authentication for a number of years where you have a essentially a token generator. You actually have a device that comes up with a number and within that a certain amount of time you put that number in and you're, you're authenticated. I used to implement those. <laughs> exactly. And then, of course, you've got the, uh, the, the biometric, uh, the uh, – uh, fingerprints, the fingerprints, that sort of thing. Proximity scans with cards exactly. that you have to put up to something. Exactly. Those kinds of things will help. But I think over the next few years, we're going to be seeing much more of that. Will it keep everybody out? No. It's going to keep most everybody out. Uh, yes, the bad guys will keep getting better at what they're doing. The Authentications will get more sophisticated, move to uh, uh, things like, uh, uh, you know, iris scans and, and things like that that are more more toward the individual. Uh, and we'll see, I think, uh, additional some stuff that's in labs right now that will become more uh, available to the general public. And those things will help. I don't believe we're going to see a single worldwide solution to all of this. Uh, even though there would be a tremendous amount of money in someone developing something like that, I don't think it's going to happen. So in terms of now, you know, we've shared some ideas of what people can do. And, and I'm just going to say this really bluntly to all my listeners out there. You need to stop being lazy when it comes to securing your data because most of the breaches happen because somebody's lazy or they're not paying attention. They'll just click. They see an email come in from somebody and they just click on it. So you want to look at it. You want to read it. Make sure that, you know, it really is. And if you're uncertain, call. I've done that many times and found out friends' accounts were hacked or they never even sent me the email. It was just something that had been uh, spoofed kind of thing. It's so critical as a business owner as an individual, to have email. That's the way people do business. Free email accounts, are they something they should have? I'm a big fan of domains, having your own business domain, and I have Gmail accounts. What's what's the best right thing to do today? 
the best right thing to do today? There's no single answer to that. Businesses ought to have their own domains. That's something that I see not enough of. Uh, Behind that domain needs to be an internet service provider that is reasonably reliable. Uh, Right now, today, uh, ask me, it would say, Google does a good job. Gmail does a good job. Microsoft does a good job. They both have baggage. There are systems that you pay for, for hosted email, uh, that do a reasonably good job. One thing we do tell people that kind of runs counter to the Gmail Microsoft world is use smaller hosted ISPs. They're not as big a target. Google is an enormous target. Uh, And the fact that they have, to our knowledge, not been hacked. Microsoft has had some issues, but they've managed not to lose any significant number of uh, email accounts or or credentials. They haven't. They're a pretty good solution. Uh, All the rest of the big guys out there, none of them are comfortable. Same thing goes to uh, data storage out in the cloud. Uh, Dropbox, enormous company, been very successful. They're an enormous target out there. Uh, And as you mentioned earlier, they have been hacked. Right. Uh, There are companies that are not free, but doing much the same thing as uh, Dropbox, targeting its small businesses. Uh, one that we recommend is a product called EchoShare. Works really well. I remember when that first came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. You did some testing for us. Yeah, I did. Uh, and it works really well. It works out uh, uh, as, a, as a really nice product. It's not entirely free. It's not expensive. Um, but they're not as large. Okay, so I want to make sure that people know how to get the newsletter because I think subscribing to this newsletter is something everybody should do because you constantly have such great articles in it. So thank you. What website should they go to? So they should go to www.compcenter.com and on the homepage at the bottom of the the homepage screen, uh, you put your email address in and that's all you have to put in. And uh, you will get our our newsletter once a month. We don't spam you. We do not sell that list. Yes, they do not. Thank you so much for being here today. Nice to be here. It's exciting to have Larry here with me today. And everybody, please, please, please replay this back. Send this to your friends in podcasts so that they can hear what you're doing. Have a great day, everyone. And if you need help asking the right questions, remember the right questions can change your life. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 